Oh my god. What am I doing? Hi everybody, welcome to my channel Just Thinking Out Loud. My name is Desiree. Today I'm going to talk about Thomas Sowell's new book, Discrimination and Disparities. I of course rushed to get it as soon as I found out that it, he, he had put it out. However, I just found the time to read it recently. This is the book. I have some notes here that I'm going to read from. I would say that the biggest takeaway that I had from this book was that when we are thinking about disparities in society, the usual assumption is that that's either due to discrimination on one end or genetic deficiency on the other end, but that those two things and other reasons are only some of the reasons why the things that we see occurring are actually occurring. And he talks about prerequisites that certain groups in societies have in different proportions, and it's that when we're thinking about the individual or a group, they only have some of the prerequisites needed for success in a particular endeavor. One thing that I really noted about the book was that it seemed to me like a summary almost of all the other books that he had put out, the ones that I read, I have read at least, and almost like this was his final capstone to his work because he seemed to be drawing references from all of his previous books. The books that I've read from him in the past were Wealth, Poverty, and Politics. That book kind of changed my life and I actually sent it out to many of the people I know, some of whom did not read it, but if they did, then no one in my personal life will be surprised at my channel. I also read Economic Facts and Fallacies, and I read The Quest for Cosmic Justice, um, The Economics and Politics of Race, and Intellectuals and Society, and Black Rednecks and White Liberals. So I've kind of inhaled his content because from the first book, Wealth, Poverty, and Politics, that was amazing to me. So anyway, it seemed like he sort of drew all the data from all of that work and then was making very similar arguments, but from a different angle. That being of thinking about the assumptions made when thinking about discrimination and about pinning the reason for disparities in society on two very, very major things, each on the opposite end of the spectrum, one being is just the individual and the other being is just what society is doing to them. The book was divided into five chapters and I'm kind of going to go through the points that he made for each of them. The first chapter is called Disparities and Prerequisites and the first thing he goes into is that different groups at different points in time have had different genetics and then he also talks about the fact that certain natural phenomena that we see in the world like tornadoes or earthquake also have great disparity in the frequency at which they occur in different locations and that's completely natural. Um, thinking, going back a little bit, thinking about the different groups in society, he was talking about the Jews and how they were sort of displaced and shunned all over the world but because in within their culture they cared a lot about literacy, once they had the freedom to express themselves in the way they wanted, then we could see that they flourished in the scientific and literary fields and that was because they already had certain prerequisites but at the time before they never had freedom which was a certain prerequisite that they didn't have before. He also talks about certain groups such as the Scots and the Japanese being at one point in time considered backward but then something happened that made them change culturally. I know he talks about it in other books, he thinks it's a cultural change. And he also talks about the difference between Southern Europe and Northern Europe and differences between when each population, how they were doing historically and how that shifted over time because one group was considered more backward. And uh, he also talks about the Brits who were at one point pretty backwards people when 
um, in ancient times, uh, the Greeks and the Romans were laying the foundation for Western society. But then the Brit- the, Brit- the British are the ones that ended up conquering a quarter of the world. So he just talks about how we have these ideas in our heads about how groups can be, but then we don't think about historically how that shifts over time. He also takes this idea about prerequisites uh, a bit further when talking about business. The example that I noted on was that of Kodak and it losing its share of the camera market because another more digital technology came into play so that it's not just that they lost to their immediate competitors but they couldn't see the new technology coming. He also talks about birth order and the first child usually being the most successful. That reminded me of Malcolm Gladwell's book Outlier which I read some time ago where he also talks about how we have these ideas about what people did but then we don't focus on disparities that aren't very obvious to us, such as just being born in the wrong order and how a larger proportion of those people are very successful compared to the second, third, fourth, etc. There's more in chapter one, but I'm going to move on to chapter two, which was discrimination, meanings, and costs. And this here, he really goes into how people can afford to discriminate trying to end discrimination. So the first chapter was about the invisible prerequisites that as a society we may not immediately see but they have nothing to do with people either being discriminated against or being somehow inferior genetically. The second chapter was titled Discrimination, Meanings and Costs and in this he goes into how the government can help people who are trying to discriminate not experience the effects or not experience the cost of that. He gives some examples such as how in apartheid before there was crackdown even when there were places in South Africa, even when there were places that were designated for whites only, there were blacks that were allowed there because in some places even more, there was a larger percentage of blacks and whites or in the construction industry, there would be many blacks hired even though they weren't supposed to be. That was against the rule of law because the employers couldn't afford to not give access to those people in housing or to not hire them because they were competing with other people. So. The only way that stopped was when the government actually decided to enforce those laws. He also talks about the United States and about how at one point, even after slavery ended, the segregation on buses didn't happen because bus companies didn't want to have to pay the expense of two extra, two, an extra coach for black passengers compared to just one where they shared them. And then this didn't go through until it was brought to the court uh, in the Plessy case. He also talks about minimum wage and the fact that many people advocate for a minimum wage, but that's because they're not actually experiencing the effect of that and that they should really go and try to find the opinion of employers who before they didn't, they didn't mind there being minimum wage laws, but then after they might not even exist to go and find their opinions. He's just saying that society tends to put these laws in place that would not exist if the people who were trying to discriminate were, act, were to actually bear the cost. And furthermore, he's not just saying that he's citing evidence from some of the most segregated societies that people think about in our world today and how that didn't really occur without state sanction. The third chapter is sorting and unsorting people. Again, this was kind of the top-down implementation of anti-discrimination laws and about how people tend to self-sort. First, he talks about blacks in the U.S. and about how there's a lot of self-sorting that goes on um, that might not be apparent to people from the outside. He talks about the migration of black Americans from the South 
and how they had a very different culture from a lot of black Americans in the North who had already assimilated to the surrounding culture. And then he also talks about different immigrant groups and how they, they tend to sort themselves where exactly they come from when they, within their host country before coming to the US is actually similar. The location is usually, uh, they all come from the same place. And then also once they're here, not only do they organize by their national origin, but then within that, they also organize themselves some more. All of this is stuff that he has covered in the book, particularly I remember Wealth, Poverty and Politics, where he tracks different immigrant groups on how they carry their culture with them and they tend to succeed in the same fields and etc. He relates this to government housing and how in the US, many times the government will move low income people to into high income residential areas thinking that they will reintegrate and how that totally disregards the sorting of people, especially of people who are low income themselves. And he does not just focus on black people here, but low income of any race who fought to get out of those situations. And then the government just puts them back and they are usually the most ardent supporters of removing those government housing programs. Thinking about this sorting of people in housing, he also goes into how there hasn't actually been evidence that these programs help any of these low-income residents long-term, but it just makes people feel good. He also talks about the self-sorting of families who send their children to charter schools versus it, they're just being public schools that everyone has to go to and there being a better chance of persons having a higher quality education when they're allowed to choose where they send their children. He also talks about desegregation through school busing a bit in this. And these are things that he talks about in his other books. But I wanted to point out this school thing because he really has a passion for talking about um, Dunbar High School. He mentions it a lot and the, the KIPP program. Um, there's a charter school that draws from a lottery. And even though the parents may self-select because they care about their children's education and about the great results that those have had for low-income students who do better than the national average in test scores and college acceptance rates etc and I kind of care about that too so I wanted to point that out because people don't focus too very much on things that actually work for people who aren't doing so well which is not the welfare state <laughs> and there's no evidence for that and it, it seems odd that people don't want to make sure that it actually works no they just want to feel good Chapter four was called The World of Numbers. And this one really made me think about economic facts and fallacies, that book, uh, as well as wealth, poverty, and politics. He talks about income and the fact that there's a lot of turnover between the quintiles in American income um, statistics and about how there is a difference between real flesh and blood people and statistical groups. He also talks about how their, the median age difference within groups will give you a skewed idea of the disparities between them because, for example, if you're thinking about who is working low-wage jobs, those tend to be younger people. And so if you look at different populations, such as by race or by nationality, one population will have more the um, distributed with more younger people in it than another population. And there's no thought given to that when discussing income disparities. He also talks about crime statistics um, and how they also don't think about median age again because young people tend to be more reckless. So that's something else to think about. And thinking about income again, this is the real flesh and blood people 
versus just statistical groups about capital gains and how just because it says that someone received $200,000 one year, that doesn't mean it's their salary, which is very different from capital gains, which is income accrued over time, for example, through book sales or through some kind of investment. Another thing that I've heard him talk about before that he talks about here is the difference between tax rates and tax revenues and how when people are like, oh, it's tax cuts for the rich, they don't realize that sometimes that actually means the government getting more tax money because people are okay paying these little amounts so they don't go and hide their money offshore. So just thinking about tax rates doesn't mean, a higher tax rate doesn't necessarily mean that you will get much money. And in fact, it means that the opposite will happen. And the whole point of this is that when discussing these statistics, we're not getting the full picture and that there isn't enough thought behind just looking at it without going deep enough. I'm going to read a quote from the book that I really liked. At the heart of many discussions of disparities among individuals, groups, and nations is a seemingly invincible fallacy that outcomes in human endeavors would be equal or at least comparable or random if there were no biased interventions on the one hand, nor genetic deficiencies on the other. This preconception, which spans the ideological spectrum, is in utter defiance of both logic and empirical evidence from around the world and over millennia of recorded, recorded history. So this is basically what he was saying at the beginning, but, but he really wants to stress the point that we have no evidence of the discrimination that we claim exists I actually forgot to mention when he was talking about discrimination meanings and costs that he talks about the different types of discrimination. Discrimination that's based on actual evidence. Say when you're walking down a street, you may react differently depending on who you see there and how they're dressed. And then he also talks about pre-sorting and about how people will discriminate more in certain situations like being out on a street randomly versus say in a school where the individuals are already sort of pre-sorted so you don't have to worry about certain things because you already know from the context that they would not have some of the attributes that would make you fair for your safety or fair for other reasons and he stresses the point that a lot of the causes behind disparities are morally neutral but those aren't as interesting to politicians and intellectuals who want to have a crusade against society and a lot of them are very natural and again he he speaks about natural events occurring that not even they occur naturally i'm going to split a bit from what he's saying and say that i personally think that disparities exist and maybe people want to try to fix them but they shouldn't be done through the state if you want to help people do it through charity and a lot of times I think there isn't enough discrimination done so you're not actually helping people discrimination meaning you're not choosing who ex who actually needs your help and is working towards something versus it's something more in their character and there's assumption by many people who just think for example welfare should go to everyone that people are in the situation they're in and it's not their fault and I think that really happens pretty often but a lot of times it also doesn't work that way and you need to be able to discern who actually deserves that help or not. Perhaps people feel bad because they're like, well, I don't want to be the moral arbiter of who deserves that and that and everybody should get a chance. But actually, you're also being the moral arbiter if you're saying that everybody deserves a chance. Talking about this social vision and consequences, 
he talks about the politicization of history and how slavery, the probably the biggest topic, is always framed off a white people enslaving black people issue, but it actually was something that existed everywhere. And the fact that this isn't just common knowledge and that people want to argue with you for saying that very often is very strange because it existed within human history and culture for such a long time. He's saying that it's so easy for a moral crusade and a vision to overcome facts. Isn't that true? That's very true in today's society, sadly. And then he ends with saying that human beings in the present cannot apologize for the actions of human beings in the past and that we can't punish people in the present for things that they didn't do. So those are the main points that I took away from the book. That's not everything and I'm afraid maybe I gave the book away too much. I really enjoyed reading it and I thought it was a good refresher of some of the facts that I had learned from reading his other books. I would definitely recommend that you guys go out and read the book even though I'm saying that it seemed like a summary it's still it's there were still moments that were like wow he really explained this so well and I think in his approach to inequality I was talking to someone about this today it's very fact-based and evidence-based versus say for example Jordan Peterson who I just reviewed uh, his his book and they say very similar things but Sawell I think is more providing evidence and statistics and while Jordan Peterson is very rational. He's more metaphorical in his explanations. Yep. So that's my review of Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. I'm so glad that he put this book out and that he's been going on shows and talking. I think that he has done great work. Actually, if he ever watches this video, I want to say thank you very much. He really opened up my mind. I was not as susceptible to many things that I think many Americans would be. But just having the data and having him explain it the way he does, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for watching, guys. Don't forget to subscribe. Also, please donate to the channel. You guys help to keep it running. Have a great day. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye.